dive into this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the ability to uh, stream this meeting and proclaim your word. And we pray that your spirit would break through all of our screens and uh, connect us with you. Connect us with Jesus. Would he be lifted up and glorified tonight? Would he change us as a result of our time together? We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So tonight's uh, sermon is about thirst. And uh, back around 11 years ago, I had a goal. And that goal was to run the Philadelphia Marathon. I had done a couple marathons in Maryland and a bunch of 5Ks and 10Ks. And I was like, I want to run a marathon. So um, I began training right, right here around College Park. This is in 2009. And, uh, you know, I, I, would, I would run seven, eight miles and, like, keep working up. And I tried to do a schedule. If you've ever tried to run a marathon, you've got to run 26 miles. And so um, – <laughs> I would jog up to Lake Cherry Hill Road and back and, and that kind of thing and uh, drive, jog around Lake Artemisia. There's some beautiful areas, trails here to jog. But here's the thing I didn't do. I never worked up to like 22 miles, which is kind of the benchmark. I think the furthest long run I ever did was 16 or 18 miles. And so um, the day came for me to drive up to Philadelphia and uh, it started right there at the Rocky Steps, if you've ever seen the Rocky movies uh, at the Art Museum. And so it runs through South Philadelphia, and I did great. The first half of it, I did wonderful. I was under two hours. My goal was to try to get under four hours for this marathon, and I was under that. And soon after, I rounded back around the Art Museum and started going on the northern part of it. I started getting a, a bad cramp in my calf. I mean, not just a bad cramp, like a grabbing cramp that wouldn't go away. And so I had to stop. I had to try to stretch. I drank fluids. I uh, So basically for the second half of the marathon, it was a hobble, stretch, jog, hobble, stretch, jog. And finally I made it. And so I brought my little, I, draw, I brought my medal so you guys can see. If you ever want to come over the house and touch it, you're welcome to. Um, but the problem was, is I found out later, is that I really should have been hydrating myself even days before that Philadelphia Marathon. That ultimately, cramps came about because I didn't have enough fluid in my body. And just drinking water before or something wasn't good enough. I really needed to hydrate myself uh, for days on end and get the, the electrolytes in there. And so... Um, I was thirsty. My body, my muscles, every tissue in my body was thirsty. And so this passage is really about thirst. It's about the thirst of Jesus, but also it's about the thirst of the woman. And I want to break it down in three ways. It's a thirst for connection, a thirst for truth, and a thirst for purpose. These are the big questions that Christianity and the Bible answers us. The thirst for fellowship, for true fellowship and connection with God and with one another. The, the idea of, is there truth in our world? And the idea of, what is, what is the purpose of my life? All you guys are here at college, you're at the university, trying to figure out, what do you want to do with your life? What is my ultimate purpose? And so, when we come to the Bible, we're, giving, we're given those major questions. We're given answers to those questions. And so, 
That's, that's the beauty of coming to the Bible. The God of the universe has spoken to us to give us his truth. And so this first point is this, that Jesus meets our thirst for connection. And in the story, if you're familiar with it, Jesus crosses several barriers um, in this story to minister to this woman. And so I just want to briefly go down. But one is geographically. Jesus was down in Jerusalem, and he was going north to the Sea of Galilee. Now, most Jewish folks would totally avoid the Samaritan region in between, and they would go east all the way to the to, uh to the Jordan River and up the east side to get to the Galilean area, but not Jesus. He said, I had to go. I had to go through Samaria. And we we understand from hindsight that the reason was is because he wanted to minister to this woman. And so um, the woman was surprised. She says in verse 9, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Um, Jesus was entering in and connecting uh, in this geographic region. Also, religiously and racially, he was connecting. And if you know anything about the Bible, uh, you probably have heard that, that Jews and Samaritans um, do not coexist. There was real racial hatred and tension. Um, the Samaritans came out of a people group left over by the Assyrians who invaded Jerusalem some 700 years before. And so in this northern part of Judea, um, there were Samaritans left over from that period, Jews who had intermingled and married with the Assyrians. And so the Jewish, the pure blood Jewish folk saw them as half-breeds um, and really disdained them and felt that if they were in contact with them, they would defile themselves. And that's why the woman is so surprised when Jesus asked for a drink and they, because he would, the, the Jew would be defiled by the, the cup or the vessel that the Samaritans were drinking. And so you have all of these barriers that Jesus is breaking in order to minister to this woman. Um, the, the Samaritans also had their own version of the Old Testament. They really only took the first five books, the Pentateuch. Um, they didn't see the rest of the Old Testament as from God. They had their own place of worship on Mount Gerizim instead of Jerusalem. And so you can see that there was lots of differences. They had some similarities. Jacob's well was there. The woman knew about Jacob because that's in the Pentateuch, in the beginning part of the Bible. But this rest of the Bible, they did not see. Um, there's the whole gender barrier. Uh, we have Jesus speaking to a woman in public, and rabbis would not speak to a woman in public. Um, and she is surprised about that. She says, like, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And so why is Jesus talking to the woman is what the disciples uh, question one another when they get back. So, again, Jesus is breaking through and connecting with this gender barrier. Also, the shame barrier, uh, the social outcast. The woman is coming at the sixth hour, which is noon. Women would typically go to the well together in a group um, in the morning. And here this woman is alone, and it points to the fact that she was an outcast. And we, we find out in the story that it's ultimately due to her behavior and the adultery and the many husbands. Maybe women thought, are you going to steal my husband too? Um, and so, Jesus, so she's there alone. But what does Jesus do? He pursues her. And he crosses all of these barriers that 
typically were not crossed, especially by a Jewish leader, a rabbi, a teacher. And so this is the first part that you need to understand about the gospel, that the gospel is all about a holy God, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, connecting with a people that are deeply sinful and broken. And so we have stories in the gospels where Jesus talks about leaving the 99 and coming and going after the one sheep. Um, that, that the gospel is all about making connections with God um, and how the Lord Jesus ultimately made the ultimate connection with us through his death and resurrection on the cross, bridging, bridging that distance, that eternal separation because of sin. And so here in this story, Jesus sees that Samaritan woman as precious, made in the image of God, uh, di has, having dignity. And so you see him giving respect. You see him um, caring about this woman, engaging in conversation with this woman. And ultimately, the gospel um, in Revelation 7, it says that every tribe and tongue and nation are going to be are going to come together uh, underneath uh, the Lord and worship at his throne. That this is the picture, although this although we we look at our culture now and the world now, we just see race separating people, social economic things separating people, gender separating people. When we come to the gospel, we see that no, God is reconciling the world unto Jesus and unto one another. In fact, Galatians 3.26 talks about, here's what Christ is doing. For in Christ Jesus, you are, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, having put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are a Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so this is what the gospel does. It, it brings us together in Christ. It brings unity in a world that is fractured, in communities that are fractured. And so, um, uh, the, you know, I just can't help to think that the power of the gospel but from the outside world, the unbelieving world is shown, especially when they see different races, different types of people worshiping together. They're like, what is going on there? These people have no nothing in common. You can have rich people, poor people, country club people, people that are, that are blue collar, right? And all of a sudden they're together in church, building friendships, uh, encouraging one another. They're worshiping the same God. Uh, they're building friendships across, and that's what the gospel does. And so you see it in this story. This Samaritan woman, she becomes a believer at the end of the story. She's part of the kingdom of God. If you're a believer, you're going to see her in heaven, and you can talk to her and ask her about this story probably. Um, and so for us, uh, thinking about this, just as we think about Jesus as an example for us, you know, as you think about the university, you think about your friends, people in your family, people that are different than you, you might ask this question, well, who are those Samaritans in my life? Who are those people that I'm just avoiding? Who are, who are those people that I'm totally writing off? I'm, I don't have, want to have anything to do with them. Guess what? Jesus does. And he shows us in this story. And so begin to pray. If, you're, if you have that, begin to pray that God would soften your heart so that you could 
connect with those people that you're avoiding. Maybe it's a different political party or maybe they believe just totally different things than you believe um, or their behavior is totally against what you believe. Guess what? Jesus is engaging and he is loving this woman and he's calling us, he's calling the church uh, to do the same thing, to advance the gospel. Okay, that's the first thing. Long point. We'll try to keep going. The second point is the thirst for truth. The thirst for truth. So in the conversation, um, as it goes forward, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, um, uh, Jesus begins giving her very clear statements about truth. Um, statements about exactly who he is. He speaks about the truth about himself. Um, and then he's going to talk about the, what's true about her. And so he begins um, talking about this water and he, and he starts saying, if you knew the gift of God, verse 10, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked from him and he would have given you living water. I mean, who says that? What is he getting at? Well, he's talking about these Old Testament passages that deal with how God is going to quench our thirst and how we can come freely to God and he will fill us. And he's saying that, that's me. I'm the one. I am God. I'm going to give you living water. You should be asking me for that. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I have will never be thirsty again. Again, he's like giving these ultimate statements of who he is and what he will do. Verse 14, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so he's again saying that God is the source of this life, um, life abundantly, eternal life, spiritual life, forever life with God, uh, true life. And so he's saying, I'm the one who can give you that. That is an ultimate truth statement. I will satisfy your spiritual thirst. And so he also says this, in the midst of this conversation, when they're going back and forth, um, he says this. He's, he challenges her in terms of what her beliefs are, her religious beliefs as a Samaritan. He says, you worship what you do not know. Samaritan religi religious beliefs. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Wow, that's a challenge, isn't it? Jesus is saying that the Jews hold ultimate, absolute truth. Now, this in our culture, I would say, doesn't go over too well because we live in a culture that basically says you can claim anything you want. You just can't say your religion is absolutely true for everybody. We live in a world that has, said, that has taken religious belief and has made that a personal belief that as long as it's okay for you. But when we, when we come to the Bible, Jesus is saying none of that. He's saying, no, this is ultimate truth. I am the creator God. I've created the heavens and the earth, the universe, everything in them, visible and invisible. And I have spoken. I am breaking into this universe, into this world, telling you what is true. Um, if some of you are, are studying philosophy, these ideas started floating in in the Enlightenment, okay? 
uh, Immanuel Kant began to like talk about these two stories of belief. There's one story, well, the upper story is the idea that uh, things like personal faith, um, you know, feelings, all these things are personal truths, but they're not absolute. The real truth is the bottom story, things like science, engineering, math, things that you can't deny. That's what really is true. And so this separation kind of came out of that philosophical idea, and it's per pervaded you. It's pervaded me. It's pervaded the university culture. But, but what we have to understand is that we come to the Bible. No, we have the universal God who's saying, this is what is true. This is what is true. Um, and so if, if, that is, if that sounds, wow, that's a little bit harsh. That's a little bit narrow. Um, I would ask you to, number one, come to the Bible with an open mind and ask God to show you if this is ultimate absolute truth. Um, if you're, you know, ask God, ask God to reveal this to you, ask questions, um, start questioning also our culture, start questioning what you're hearing in class. Um, because every truth claim out there also has an underneath set of doubts and other underneath set of beliefs. It's saying they're absolutely true. And so, um, when Jesus is talking about absolute truth, he's saying for everybody, everywhere, um, all cultures. And that's why the gospel is pushing us forth. And that's why Jesus is getting the gospel to Samaria that didn't have the whole gospel. And he's gently and compassionately breaking barriers to share his love. And so um, this is what we have. Now, as he does that, as he brings that truth to her, as he brings the absolute truth about who he is as the God of the universe, it also reveals herself. She begun, begins to understand who she is. And so the truth, the thirst for truth um, in her own life is becoming uh, quenched. And uh, she, Jesus begins to, uh, to kind of to poke a little bit in verse 16, where she, he says, go call your husband. And then she says, well, I don't have a husband. But Jesus shoots back, you know, well, you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. Okay. Now, he didn't say this in the beginning, remember. He said this after a lot of barriers broken and a lot of empathy and a lot of connection and a lot of conversation. And then he gets into her what her issues are. But, but guess what? She is cut to the heart because she, know, she knows it's true. And, uh, in fact, her testimony, when she goes back to town, she says it twice. Come see a man who told me every, everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She is starting to understand the truth about her heart and about her nature because she's understanding that the Bible is true, that we are all idolaters, that we all worship other things. For her, apparently it was maybe worshiping relationships, the security of relationships, or whatever it was that got her in and out of all of these marriages she was understanding that, man, my life's a mess. I can't keep a husband. I can't, you know, I, I, I'm not happy. I, I, I can never be satisfied by a man. And that's 
the nature, the sin nature of our heart, we can never be satisfied by just things on this world. Good things like marriage or relationships. Those are beautiful, wonderful God, God's gifts to us. But the nature of our hearts is to take a good gift and make it an ultimate God. And so whenever you do that, whether it's with your grades, whether it's with your, you know, relationships or money or, you know, sexual experience or, uh, you know, you name it, you fill in the blank. Whenever you do that, you're going to come up empty. You're going to also be put in bondage to those things because anything we worship outside the Lord Jesus is going to make us idolaters and it's actually going to destroy us because we, we, were, all, we were made for God. He created us. So she's learning the truth about herself. In fact, Jer- Jeremiah 2.13 connects this idea of thirst and and broken cisterns. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the, the fountain of living waters. God, see, he's the fountain of living water. That's what Jesus is saying. And they've hewed out cisterns or wells underground for themselves, broken wells that can hold no water. This is what Israel was doing in the Old Testament. This is what we do. We we try to create other false wells to hold water and to quench our thirst. But guess what? We just come up dry and we get leg cramps like I did in Philadelphia. And so um, she is she is rejoicing now because Jesus has told her about herself. She finally understands, like, this is who I am. And so this is the beautiful thing. The more you read the Bible, the more you get to know God you get to know yourself as well. It's like a mirror. Like the more you understand who God is, Calvin said, the more you understand yourself. The more you understand yourself, the more you understand who God is. It's kind of goes back and forth. But the scriptures, uh, like Hebrews 4 says, are going to come inside of us and they're going to cut us and reveal our hearts and motives and ideas. And so that's why it's so important to read the Bible um, that's why it's so important to be in a place where you're hearing the Bible preached, uh, at church. That's why it's important to be with other Christians in a small group to get around the word and to ask questions and you're seeing it from different angles and sides and it's, and it's ministering to your heart. Um, if you separate yourself and you don't do any of those things, you're not going to understand. You're going to miss out. So don't miss out. Uh, the last thing is this, a thirst for purpose, verse 31 and following. Um, this is the conversation Jesus has with his disciples. They come back from the town where they gotten something to eat, and they, they began asking Jesus um, about if he was hungry, and uh, he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And then you're like, okay, did somebody get Jesus a, a value meal? What's going on? Um, but Jesus then explains in verse 34 what his real food was. He says, my food is the is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In the eating, there is strength. And so Jesus is saying, when I am doing my father's will, when I am loving this Samaritan woman, when I am crossing into this area and presenting the gospel um, and telling, tell, and helping her understand and, and be fulfilled in me, that is like a banquet at Golden Corral. That is like Fogo de Chao when you keep it on green, okay? That is purpose, and he is like saying, when I do my father's will, I don't even have to eat. That's like when you're a kid, like me, you love baseball, 
you're just playing baseball all day and all night. You don't go in for lunch. You don't go in for supper because you're just having fun. You're out there and you're totally captivated because that's your purpose. So, you know, this is what this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. They're like saying the fields are ripe for harvest. It's like, you know, other people have have sown like it's time for to reap. Um, and he's ultimately saying to us, too, it's this is the ultimate purpose is to glorify God and to make him known on the earth, to make him known in your neighborhoods, to make him known on your hallway, to make him known in your family. Like when you see another person like under like come to know that they're a sinner and that, that they're like separated from the God who made them. And then all they need to do is place their faith in Christ and repent and they and they have a new life like that's that's amazing when that happens and he, jesus is saying like that's my food right there like i don't need any other food when that's happening like i'm i'm fulfilled and he wants us to be fulfilled too and so um the woman ultimately found her purpose as well didn't she because she goes back to town to a town where she was the outcast, where she was the woman who was stealing all the wives or the husbands. And she proclaims the truth about Jesus. And it says in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That was her testimony. She was so changed. She had purpose. She didn't even care about her jar. She leaves the water jar at the well. Why? Because her thirst was quenched by Jesus. She wasn't thinking about physical water anymore. She had spiritual water. She had life. She had purpose. She had joy. And so that's what God gives us. Um, and so do you want that? You know, do you want that kind of purpose? Well, you just freely ask God, fill me. <laughs> you just come to him with your emptiness. You come to him with your empty water jar and you say, Jesus, I need to be filled by you, not all this other junk that I'm trying to fill my life with he will fill it he will fill it and the reason why he fills it the reason why he can quench our thirst is because it's interesting in the gospels when jesus was on the cross one of his seven sayings was i thirst when he was on the cross connecting sinners with god he said i thirst what was he saying he's saying jesus is suffering ultimate disconnection from god he is suffering ultimate falsehood not truth from slander and from those who said crucify him and trumped up charges for him he is he is he is a seemingly lack of purpose you're dying on a cross a roman cross what good is that satan didn't understand it but ultimately in that death in that thirst he quenches our thirst because he suffered for us. And so Jesus went thirsty so we would never thirst. Jesus went thirsty so you and I would never thirst. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this time to look at your word. I know it's a big passage, but there's so much, there's so much beautiful truth in there about thirst and about how you meet our thirst. Lord, would we taste that tonight, this week? Would we meditate on that? And would you help us understand if we've never heard these things before, Lord, give us the courage to uh, talk to others about it, uh, to reach out. Lord, we would love to help you. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.
as we uh, as we close tonight, I'm we're going to listen to a song by Chris Rice, uh, and it's about this idea of thirst. And uh, I'm so thirsty, he he say, he sings. And uh, so before we go to the Zoom room, and you can see it in the uh, below in the in the comments, um, I want you to just take take two or three minutes. We're gonna Val's gonna play this song, and uh, just consider. Um, your thirst and consider the Lord and how he quenches thirst. Um, anyway, so we'll see you later. Hope, hope to see some of you hiking Saturday. Take care. Bye.